are listening to The Cooler Ring, a podcast made for manufacturing marketers. Here are Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Welcome to The Cooler Ring. My name is Jeff White, and joining me today is Carmen Perry. Carmen, how's it going? It is going well, Jeff. And uh, I, uh, I, I, I think it's it's interesting as we've been doing these podcasts um, that um, we've just had. A, I think we've had an interesting mix of folks. Um, and, and certainly one of the consistent themes amongst um, manufacturing marketers is um, the build out of internal marketing capabilities. Yeah. And, um, and so that's, you know, I'm, I'm really excited for today's guest because I, I think we're going to be able to uh, get inside that a bit. And, um, and, and that's pretty cool. It is. I mean, it's certainly a topic that we come across both in the podcast uh, as well as uh, clients and prospects that we speak with, you know, the the kind of growth and, and uh, you know, scale of, of internal marketing teams varies so much. Yeah. I, and uh, I, I, I don't know if I can, I, this may not be an exact quote, so I won't attribute it, but it's something like, I think 2012 was supposed to be the last uh, year in uh, in North America where there were more uh, agency side marketers than client side marketers. We've now made that switch. Um, that's changed things for agencies, of of course, uh, but it's changed things for uh, clients. Uh, uh, massively I don't think they see well. themselves as clients anymore. If all the marketers have moved there, yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's another question. I suppose. <laughs> not. But well, look, without further ado, because I, you know, it's not all about us. Maybe we no. should introduce a guest. Yeah, indeed. Uh, joining us today is Sarah Carson. Sarah is the Director of Marketing at Roar. Welcome to the Cooler Ring, Sarah. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. It's fantastic to have you on the show. Um, uh, Sarah, why don't you? Uh, why don't we get started by just having you introduce yourself a little bit more fully and uh, tell us a bit about Roar. Sure. So I have been with the organization for about a year and a half. My background is actually pretty diverse. I've worked for media publishers and digital agencies prior to coming to the manufacturing world of marketing. Um, and Roar is a North American packaging company. I think that they're probably best known for the packages that you see at an office supply store, that plastic blister and the card that holds the new package of pens that you want to buy. Very cool. And you were, uh, when you initially started with the organization that became Roar, it was actually something else. And uh, you were acquired uh, last fall. Is that right? Yeah. So I interviewed and um, worked with Transparent Container uh, starting in December of 2017. And then um, throughout the spring and summer, working with the executive team, we were going through a lot of due diligence processes and getting ourselves ready because in October, Roar officially acquired Transparent Container. That brought together two really large packaging brands. So a few dynamics at play here. Um, so, Sarah, I know that you've um, uh, done a lot of work in in building out uh, your your in house marketing capabilities and really uh, shaping and growing uh, the internal team in your in your time at both Transparent Container and Roar. Uh, so help us understand that and what the current state of that evolution is. So when I started, there were two people who had been performing, I'm using like air quotes, marketing duties, um, but there hadn't been a director of marketing for over a year prior to my start. So 
one of the first things that was new for the people on my team was that they actually became a team and with a leader. And so I found out of the gates that there was a lot of duplication for the work that the people were doing because one person reported to sales and the other reported to research and development. And so what I thought was really critical to become efficient and to make sure that the team was happy and successful was to walk through what they believed their job descriptions to be, but also to try to work with them to figure out what they want their job description to be or what they're passionate about as a marketer. Because I find that when you can guide people on a career path that's towards their passions, they'll be more successful they'll be more loyal to your brand and you can have a lot more impact as a department when you have a team of people who are highly engaged. So the the two roles that we defined were really based on the kinds of marketing activities that happen day to day. And ultimately we um, honed in on digital marketing for one of the members of my team. And his work is really around everything that's tied to Google Analytics and lead generation, um, posting content and making sure that we've got clean data for our newsletters and things like that. And then the other member of my team, she's focused on what we're calling marketing services. So she will manage um, staffing, trade shows, or all of the creative aspects of our brands that come up both with campaigns, um, communications, signage, and all that kind of stuff that is critical to making sure that we have a refined and um, unified brand experience for both internal and external partners. I think there's a couple of pieces to just not get too far removed from here is that one is that you, you know, a lot of people just start, okay, what's the work that needs to get done that they see immediately in front of them and then start carving up responsibilities accordingly. But you started from uh, the passion and worked your way back. Um, and I'm, you know, I, I don't think everybody does that, to be honest. I think you're to be commended for having that, uh, that thought process. And I'm, I'd be curious to, you know, dive into that a little further. And then the other thing is that um, I, I think there's uh, some wisdom in how you've chosen to just really look at what are those day-to-day kind of requirements. Um, uh, understanding that you have a small focus team, you're going to weigh on external resources on occasion, et cetera, um, how best to kind of divvy that up. So I, um, I think that, that um, both of those uh, things, I'm not, I don't know, I, uncommon is the right word or not, but I think um, it seems to be very much key to the success thus far. I've seen the, I've seen it work where you talk with the people on your team and refine their roles or create a career, career path for them before. When I was in the media world, I had a team of 26 people and that's, that's a lot of different personalities and a lot of different goals and uh, ambitions. Um, But getting that personal connection with each of the individuals on my team helped me understand what what was the potential of a strategic plan. If I knew that I had people that were strong enough to manage accounts differently, then that could be something that I could launch quickly in a strategic plan instead of adding in all of the tricks of trying to hire for, you know, like a unicorn role. Um, So in previous roles where I had a lot of salespeople 
and we wanted to make sure that we were managing our accounts really well while growing as fast as possible. We, I started to work with those people who liked sales, but really loved the problem solving for customers. And from that, I took a pool of you know, over 20 salespeople and kept some of them in outside sales, but had the others in the office as account managers who were really focused on helping um, the salespeople by managing their accounts day to day and then doing things like uh, suggesting incremental opportunities based on these really strong relationships that they were developing. And I don't think that those people would have been successful if I didn't know it was something that they were excited to do. And so when I had done that in the past, it taught me a lot about how people react to a manager who seems to have their best interests at heart. And it's really meaningful. It brings meaning to their work. And it also brings a lot of success to the organizations that I work for when we have a team of happy people who are loyal and engaged. I think that, you know, it's also interesting on a delineation of, uh, of execution standpoint, because you've effectively delineated on a more kind of traditional marketing for, for one of the people versus, you know, a purely digital understanding and a natively digital marketer for the other. And, you know, in a lot of cases, especially within, you know, mid-sized manufacturers, everybody has to play a part in the digital. There isn't often room for one person to kind of run with, you know, one side or the other and have that split that way. But I think it does allow people to truly be, you know, excel at the things they're good at. Right. And it's not like these people work in little boxes and never talk to anybody outside of it. You know, they still, we, we still collaborate as a team sure. um, and see how the work that one does lift, lifts up the other. But when, when we, when we approach a task, we can very quickly get to work because we know who does what the roles are clear. I'd be curious. Um, I mean, it's funny because of course, I think in, in some ways, um, there's a, even with this delineation of role, there's still a unicorn nature to it in some way. I mean, we're talking about, um, you know, a digital marketer that's, you know, half content marketer, half data analytics, uh, half website manager, et cetera. That's too many halves. And yeah, well, it's not, we're not, it's not a math podcast. Um, you the one with the business but then, degree, but then on the uh, on the other side of it, on the even on the traditional side, I mean, those are a wide number of skill sets. Um, I don't know how. I mean, part of me wants to ask you which of them you think would be harder to replace, but that's not really nice because they're going to listen to this podcast. <laughs> it's not fair. Um, I guess, but how do how do you feel? Do you feel in some ways that you're managing a couple of unicorns there, and is that at all a concern, or I don't know. Well, I feel fortunate to have them both, for sure. And neither one of them wants to do the other person's job. Uh, so I could start by saying that. <laughs> I couldn't replace one with the other yeah. um, it, and still keep them at a level of engagement and joy. Uh, and you're right. I, I think that either of them may be difficult to replace because it was their experience with the company well before I came there that helped them get that big picture view of where they fit within this department. Hmm. All right. So let's uh, let's jump into some of the functional roles uh, beyond that that you've um, so you've also talked about 
um, uh, taking a different approach to account management and lead gen under the marketing uh, umbrella. So uh, help me understand that. So the our companies both, you know, prior to acquisition, had embarked on some initiatives to manage small accounts. And, you know, small accounts, they have they have a lot of things going on. They might not order as frequently, but and they their orders are relatively small. Um, I always talk about how L- Linda Evangelista used to say that she wouldn't get out of bed for less than $10,000 a day. And so I'm talking about those accounts that are less than $10,000. And so a lot of times the salespeople really want to focus on their big whales. Um, and what happens is that our organizations start to see some attrition with these small accounts that are really easy to steal if just someone just pays some attention to them. And so one project that we embarked on recently was to create a new role within the org- and within our organization, and it's called Emerging Business. We have two people on this team. One had been performing a lead gen role within the marketing department where she was managing all of our inbound leads and qualifying them before we passed them on to salespeople. The other member of the emerging business team is a 20-year sales veteran with our company, and she's got tons of firsthand experience for how the larger customers work with us and what kinds of problems she can solve with our solutions. So we created this new emerging business team to focus on our smallest accounts, and they can now give those accounts a white glove treatment that you know makes them understand how valuable they are to our company and and then they can as emerging business account executives they can help grow that business you know especially with this acquisition roar primarily printed the cards that are part of our packaging transparent container primarily uh, performed the thermoforming for the blisters and so there's an opportunity with all of those small accounts. If you buy a card, you probably need a blister. If you buy a blister, you probably need a card. And if no one in sales was taking the time to call you and tell you about what the new opportunities are, uh, we're leaving half of our money on the table. So this group manages about 10 times the number of accounts as an outside salesperson for our company. They also take on all of the leads that come in through our website and phone calls. And, um, A lot of people scratch their heads when I say that that group is part of the marketing department, but for us, it's the, it's day one access to what's going on with a really large scalable amount of leads and accounts so that as marketers, we can hear the kinds of stories that customers bring to us or that the solutions that they're looking for, and we can produce some best practices that can apply throughout the organization. Um, Because one of the things that I perform as a marketing director is a weekly email to the sales team that helps with sales enablement and effectiveness. And so capturing these stories from busy outside salespeople, maybe, well, it would be much more difficult, but here I've got two people on my team who can offer me 10 times the number of stories. I think that's really interesting. And, and, And it's a, it's not necessarily a common tactic that we've seen. I mean, in a lot of cases, uh, for example, we had uh, Murray Bain from Stanpak 
uh, on the podcast, and they're a packaging producer of ice cream and milk containers and things like that, as well as coffee cups and other things. And their tactic for dealing with this was to set up an e-commerce store, you know, to so that the small accounts could get that um, attention directly via the site rather than needing to speak to an inside sales or accounts team. Um, I'm guessing that with the customization required for the blister packs and other things that you make, e-commerce may not be a solution that could replace these people. Yeah, I listened to that and I I learned a lot of really interesting information. Um, it's true there's a lot of customization for our products, but then once something turns into a reorder, there's none. It's just the same thing again. So we're actually working on a portal for customers to perform some self-service as well. But the thing is that not everybody wants to go through that process. And we need to make sure that we are not leaving money on the table. And so um, that's one of the reasons that we will continue to grow within this team. They might do more work to drive people to the portal as it goes live. But I still think that a portal for us would be... um, significantly less successful at selling new opportunities or uh, communicating additional product lines that may be useful for the customer. And I think that comes from day-to-day conversations. So having these, having this team where one of the, one of their measurement metrics is the number of conversations that they have with existing customers. Are your digital marketing efforts bringing in too many junk leads? Stop wasting time and distracting your sales team. Account-based marketing can help give your marketing strategy the laser focus on qualified buyers that you need to increase your pipeline velocity, close more deals, and grow your business faster. We've created a sample manufacturing ABM plan to help you get started. Download the sample manufacturing ABM plan at bit.ly slash sample ABM. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash sample ABM. I, I just love the way this is organized. And I really like uh, that you've leveraged from the start the kind of marketing benefit of having those, you know, basically a direct connection to that activity rather than it being abstracted from marketing's view. Um, well, and for the marketing and sales alignment, you know, the, the email that you're talking about, Sarah, is just, mm. <laughs> I mean, that's a lesson that many marketers could could take and bring some cohesion with their sales teams. Yeah, I think that one of the primary reasons we started the newsletter is because we can expand our marketing by like through thought leadership. I think a lot of people think about content marketing as a way to promote thought leadership. But for me, I also want to um, put a multiplier on that by helping all of the salespeople become thought leaders within their own communities. And so it kind of started from this concept of making sure that they were aware of what's going on in the industry and giving them content about the industry that they could then share with a customer as part of a follow-up conversation or use it on LinkedIn or Twitter so that it wasn't our website that was the the only resource for or validation that Roar knows what they're doing in this space, but that any of the people that customers speak with have a really strong understanding of the packaging industry as a whole. And how many outside sales team members are we talking about here? Uh, There's 16 reps that are 
working in the field plus their managers. And um, our designers are really involved in the sales process as well. And so the list of people who receive the email is around 30. Are there any common characteristics for the people that you feel get the most benefit or use out of it? Uh, well, I use HubSpot to send the email. So that has been interesting to see who are the people that open it every single week and click on it. And then, of course, I can see on LinkedIn whether or not they're sharing the content. Um, I'm going to keep sending it to everybody. It's not meant to be a gotcha, but more like a service that we can provide. But I feel like there are um, certain account managers who are uh, a little bit more consultative with their customers versus those that are transactional. And there, you can find success within either of those categories. But those that are the consultants who uh, want to engage with designers and want to provide packaging solutions that you know, push the limits of design, those are the ones who really take advantage of the content that I'm sharing with them as well. It's interesting. I don't, uh, I, I wish I would have been smart enough to have a clever follow-up conver- <laughs> uh, you know, question of that. I, I didn't really <laughs> think of where it was going. I was just more like, you know, if, so often we think about those, you know, people will say, oh yeah, well, like, I don't know, it'll break down on age or it'll break down on digital savviness or, um, or what have you. Um, uh, so I, I kind of like that the division wasn't there, that the division was on, are they more of a consultative salesperson or more of a transactional salesperson? And those consultative salespeople are the ones that get most advantage of it. Of course, that's a nice direction for content development um, uh, as well. Um, of course, as you're creating content to help enable that sales process, you're doing it usually through the consultative sale lens. So it, made, it, it stands to reason. Right. So I love um, the Spin Socks blog or Ginny Dietrich's Spin Socks. And one of the things that she talks about a lot is the peso model, which is a, the media that you can use as a brand, which the P is for paid, earned, shared, owned. So that's how she gets the word peso. I kind of think of our sales team as part of that owned media. And they can help me promote the content on our website as well. And so I, with anything that we do, we have to think about what's in it for the salesperson or what's in it for our audience. And so uh, making sure that I'm giving them things that are useful for their conversations with customer is key. And then if they can give me feedback about what they need, that helps me build my content strategy going forward across any of those media types. Have you, uh, what, what's been the most successful uh, tactic that you've used to harvest that feedback from a sales team? I, and I think that a lot of marketers would love to have feedback from outside sales team members about, um, you know, that could help direct content creation, et cetera. But um, I, I've noticed many struggle with getting it. So how do you do it? Uh, so we have our struggles too, uh, but there's two primary methods that I use to collect content ideas. Um, one is we just sent out a link to a survey monkey to the salespeople in the most recent Monday morning email. And we asked them to share with us either some trends that they're seeing in the industry or tell us about a customer problem that we solve through packaging. And either one of those answers helps me with either writing a thought leadership piece or a case study. Um, what a lot of the reps are learning is that once they 
give me a little bit of information, I will help build it into a much larger piece. And then we attribute the, the content to them. So it helps them get some notoriety. So the surveys are one useful way to collect data from a lot of people. But the other thing that I preach and um, lead by example is that I pick up the phone. And so I call salespeople on a regular basis and ask them about their territory, or I ask them about a sale that I see in a call report. And I just kind of push them to start to share those stories with me. And um, so our marketing services person does the same thing. She looks for uh, big sales or she'll visit a plant and see something weird or cool running on the lines. And then we'll just start to target the salespeople as if we are some inside sales group ourselves trying to sell the idea of producing more content and working with the marketing team. That's really, really, really cool. And I bet too that these efforts are more successful than they would otherwise be because of that newsletter that you send out because it would it kind of inherently drives a bit of reciprocity expectation, right? Like if you're giving so much out in some ways, at some point, somebody has to give something back in order to try to keep that relationship in balance, you know? Yeah, I think I, I, I hoped it would work out that way. It seems to be working out that way. And I also have the sales manager who are engaged in the process as well. And they're supporting the work that I'm doing by encouraging sales reps to reach out to me proactively when something interesting is going on. So we, um, the Roar salespeople had not had this experience before. The Transparent Container salespeople had had it for about a year. Uh, so now we're starting to see more engagement across the entire department where people are reaching out to us before we even ask for anything to let us know about something good that happened in their territory or a good conversation that they had with their customer. And it's nice to be able to work faster through this process. I love it. I think this has been incredibly helpful, Sarah. I wonder, as we bring uh, our conversation to a close, if there are any uh, parting pieces of advice that you would give. Uh, not that you haven't given enough already, but I uh, it, maybe it's nice to keep it open ended and see if you what else uh, what else comes out. Um, sure. So I think that uh, to be a successful marketer. Uh, one of the things that's been really useful to me is reading as much as possible because I feel like that helps me uh, grow my empathy muscles. And so it's good for me to understand all the different kinds of customers that we work with. But more importantly, it's good for me to have empathy and understanding of all of the different personalities I work with within my organization. And that has really helped me become successful with a lot of the work that I do because people see the marketing department as a partner. I know that in organizations I've worked in the past, there, there's been a contentious relationship between marketing and sales or this stereotype that marketing is just trying to get you to stop using the logo the wrong way. And so what I'm trying to do is build bridges so that we're working together and amplifying each other's voices in ways that helps the organization grow. And I like how it's not focused on uh, tactical things to align marketing and sales, but rather more attitudinal and um, 
and you know, overall approach based, frankly. And I think that comes through in this conversation loud and clear, Sarah. Oh, thanks. I'm glad to hear it. I mean, we still measure everything that we do. We still run campaigns and counter clicks and ROI. But I think that all the other work that we're doing um, is just as important. Well, one certainly powers the results that you see in the other. That's clear. Yeah. Sarah, thanks so much for sharing your experience uh, with us today. Thanks uh, for, for joining us on the Cooler Rank. Yeah, it was great to visit with you both. Thank you so much. Take care. Cheers. Thanks for listening to The Cooler Ring with Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Don't miss a single manufacturing marketing insight. Subscribe now at coolapartners.com slash the cooler ring. That's K-U-L-A partners.com slash the cooler ring.